Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rooftop Leadership Podcast. It's absolutely awesome to have you here. Um, we are clicking right along through 2021 and one adventure after the other. And, uh, you know, the focus of this podcast is to talk about locally empowered leadership. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we focus on. I'm, I'm of the belief that in, uh, in this country and other places around the world, we are, we are in a bit of a leadership crisis right now. And, and by that, you know, we are divided more than we are united. And that's, um, that's causing some real issues at local, federal, regional levels, organizational levels, what I call the churn, this, this, this societal churn, which, uh, which, is, which is dividing us and, and, and causing gaps between us and the people that we want to connect to, us and the goals that we're trying to achieve in the world. Because humans are meaning-seeking, emotional, social story animals, and connection is how we navigate the world. And right now, that is a tough thing to pull off. And I think a big reason for it is that many of our leaders are what I call divisionists. And I've uh, coined that term to, to frame leaders on both sides of the aisle, leaders on all sides of the issues who divide citizens in order to achieve an agenda. And I think right now, it's one of the most irresponsible things a leader can do. And so I'm calling it a leadership crisis. We are at a precipice right now that we can't hang around very long. We need to pull back from and restore responsible leadership at all levels that focuses on bridging beyond our in-groups and connecting with other human beings, even those who don't believe the way we do. Because at the end of the day, that is what diversity looks like. It is what a liberal democracy looks like. And it's how we achieve abundance and, and individual freedoms is that ability to do that. And, and it, is, it is a requisite for, steward, uh, for stewarded leadership, for responsible leadership to step in and do that. So, um, you know, sometimes on this podcast, I, I, I riff on my own. Sometimes I have guests and the guests that I bring on are the guests who I believe can help you think through the challenges that you're facing in achieving and fulfilling on that locally empowered leadership, bottom line. And I'm very judicious about the guests that I bring on because I know that your time is valuable and frankly, my time is valuable and we don't have time for theory. We don't have time even really for just empty ideas or empty help uh, or people who admire the problem as one of my bosses, General Miller used to say. We got enough people admiring the problem. We need practitioners who have a perspective that can, that can help us navigate the problem because you're the leaders that are going to get us out of this. So I want to put guests in front of you who are going to help you think it through. And today is absolutely no exception. Uh, dear friend of mine, Mr. Ron Nakamoto. Um, Ron and I haven't known each other that long. In fact, it was September of 2020 that we met at one of the two live in-person keynotes I gave in 2020. All my other keynotes were remote, but, but I was fortunate enough to give a talk at NAFA, Iowa, which is an insurance uh, and uh, financial advisor association, wonderful, wonderful organization. And, um, and I was there to give a keynote in Iowa and was able to actually do it in person. And Ron was there as well, leading a discussion um, on, uh, on Empowered Wealth. In fact, he's the CEO of Empowered Wealth, and uh, they focus on the pillars of gratitude, true wealth, and leadership to fulfill on the goals that financial advisors want to fulfill on. And I just, I heard him speak. I was sitting in there. He didn't know that I was one of the speakers. And I just, when I'm not speaking, what I like to do with these things is 
and I, and I recommend this to you too, is anytime you're at a conference or something like that, if you're presenting is, you know, don't, don't just go in the room and give your talk, just move around and, and really hear uh, the other folks out there that are putting their perspective out there because it's phenomenal and it'll normally inform what you're talking about. And, and this was no exception. Ron, uh, when I, as soon as I heard him start talking, I was captivated, just his quiet demeanor, but just miles and miles that he's run. You can just tell he's run the miles. And I knew right then that he was someone I wanted to connect with and bring on the podcast. And, and I did, and I did. And he's here with us today, coming to us from Texas, um, talking about locally empowered leadership in a time of crisis. So Ron, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let me correct a couple of things. Please uh, first do. of all, I'm the former CEO of Empowered Wealth, now okay. the CEO of EW Plus, which is, as you might surmise, is sort of a derivative of, but uh, uh, I have some independence in how I do my work now. So I'm gotcha. able to work with people like you with, uh, with unfettered, which is a good sure. thing, right? Uh, and uh, it's, it is true that uh, my background is as a financial advisor, uh, and now I train financial advisors. So people would, you know, probably naturally wonder, well, what does that have to do with leadership, right? What does that have to do with leadership at all? And I would say that really, it, I would come back to some of the things that you talk about, about leading yourself first, you know, yeah. you got to take care of your own business first. And I think that's how we connected was yeah, just because yeah. so much of my work with financial advisors is, hey, you know, get your head straight first before you start dishing out advice to other people and, right. you know, learn how to connect with people like you teach and train people. And that's, you know, certainly that's what I've derived a lot from your work is how to connect with people. And then, you know, the things that I've brought to the table in my little world is, you know, a focus on gratitude, which begins with respect. And right. somebody, you know, you know how it is when when one of your students starts saying the things that you've taught them, yeah, and they mean it. You know how you know how gratifying that yep. is, right? Absolutely. So one of my students told me, "Hey, you know, um, I finally get that you know respect is the foundation of a civil society because we don't have it right now." Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, you know what? Um, that is that is that is so accurate, and it's it's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, about the respect piece. And I want to go ahead and pull the thread on that now. You know what? Actually, no, let's do, tell me, I want to come back to the respect. We're going to pick it up there. Um, and then we'll, we'll bring our two paths together, Ron. But first, All tell right. us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. Um, you alluded to it a little bit with your path as a financial advisor, but just give us a little, give us a little bit of your backstory and, and how you got to where you are now. Boy, that, you know, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commandeer your podcast if I'm not careful. <laughs> but I'd say this, a couple of highlights. Uh, so I'm Japanese-American, uh, but I, um, I uh, was born in America. My parents were born in America. My family's been here for over 100 years. So I'm American all the way. But you guys, um, most some of you may remember that we had this little skirmish, you know, in the 40s called World War II. And... Uh, you may recall that the Japanese were the enemies. And so I grew up in a world where um, the, uh, the kids of people who fought the Japanese in the Pacific uh, were my peers. And they picked up a lot of this vibe that the Japanese are, one, the Japanese are the enemies, and two, 
Japanese are crazy, you know, because they're, you know, you probably have heard the stories about the Japanese warriors and the and how they would, you know, fight till the, the death and all that stuff. So I view that as kind of, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, building up a bad reputation, undeserved bad reputation growing up. So I've spent most of my life kind of fighting that. Yeah. Um, yeah but, you know, my world is, uh, I grew up Buddhist. Uh, it still shows, I think, in a lot of the, a lot of the, my, my, my mannerisms, my behavior, my sure. the words that I use and that kind of stuff. And so I grew up in that kind of tension, you know, external prejudice and hatred, Buddhist philosophy, you know, way of dealing with things. And yeah. uh, to me, that tension still exists, you know, hatred, right. you know, delusion, prejudice still exists. It just takes different forms. You know, you saw yeah. it when you when you were, you know, you've been all over the world. You've seen hatred, prejudice, sure. you know, sure. delusional yeah. thinking. You've seen it everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so what, what kind of mindset, what kind of whatever it takes in order to deal with that, that's been sort of my life's journey. Uh, in the meantime, you know, it's like a lot of things. Um, you know, I didn't really have a calling as a financial advisor. I think you mm -hmm. had a calling to become a soldier. Right. Yeah, I did. I remember, I remember you telling me the story about seeing the, the guy with the green beret and yeah, you, yeah. Uh, you wanted to be that guy. Well, you know, I didn't want to be, gee, that financial advisor. Look at him, uh -huh. you know. Right. But, you know, but, you know, so I sort of backed into it. But, you know, now I'm 37 years into it, uh, 33 years as a certified financial planner. Um, right. So I was there sort of on the ground floor of the industry. And um, now I'm sort of the, you know, in a way, an elder statesman in it. Um, but it was always an industry that was, you know, about selling stuff to people. And, yeah. um, and I really bristled, you know, against that. And so it was always to me about serving people. And believe it or not, it, that's been a challenge, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of greed in financial services and a lot of financial advisors are, are greedy people and a lot of their clients are greedy. And, you know, uh, uh, so a lot of my work has been to say, well, there's a little more to life. There's, you know, there's, you know, at a deeper level, um, you know, family, connection, faith, those kinds of things are worth a lot more than money. And a lot of yeah. people don't, don't get that, but I think we can now my, my, my challenge, my passion is to find people who want to help other people with that in mind is to use money productively. I'm okay with people, people being wealthy as long as it, do, it doesn't fuel greed and self-indulgence and hatred. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's another another you know touch point that you and I have. We both we both see it that way. And and frankly, when I heard you when I heard you talking about your philosophy uh, in in how you train financial advisors, and you know what I talked to several financial advisors who've worked with you, and just the reverence they have with the work that you do and what you stand for. I mean, I was I was drawn to that immediately. And you know what, Ronnie, what it strikes me as is what you've just described. And and look, you know, 
I work with a lot of financial advisors and really, really solid folks who make a big difference in the world. I mean, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it, it is, it is, it can, it can be a true calling. Um, but you know, if you, if you think about the financial sector or the financial industry, you're right. I mean, obviously it's super transactional and in many ways goes against the grain of you know, some of the old school aspects of, of interpersonal relationships and things like that, that you and I are very big on. So it, it, it strikes me that what you've had to do in the financial sector, uh, certainly in the financial services sector, uh, in bringing your principled approach is, is exactly what's kind of going on in the country today. I mean, yeah. what was that like? Trying Well, first of all, tell us a little bit about how you approach um, your methodology and, and what it's built around and, and, uh, and, and how you see that as relevant in the world today. Because I, I think that's exactly what we need to dive into. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the challenges that we're facing. But when, just tell us a little bit about your approach to, to how you train your financial advisors. Uh, probably uh, in, in a similar way to the way you would do it if you were in my shoes. You know, you ask people a question. Uh, the typical question I ask people is, what is wealth? Yeah. And then, you know, you, most people go, well, it's money and, you know, stuff. You know, they go, well, what do you value more than money? Well, you know, I mean, if, if your family, your health, your faith don't pop up pretty quick, then you're probably you know, you've kind of lost your compass a little bit. You know what I mean? And to me, um, if the money's not making that better, then, you know, that's that's a sign. So what I talk yeah. about is, you know, uh, I mean, look at, I, uh, I, I tell a story of, uh, I won't mention names, but I had a client 25 years ago uh, and he was, I joke, he was, a, he was a, a billionaire when a billion dollars was a lot of money. <laughs> but but it's, it, it's true. This guy, you know, you have no idea how much he, he was worth three and a half billion dollars, right? So right. you have no idea how much money that was. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and what he's, what he was capable of doing. But he had six kids. He was alienated from all six of them. Not one of them would speak to him. He was on his fourth marriage, uh, and you know, he just had no family. So I asked myself, "Well, what good was the money? Right? You know, what was that good for? You know." Now he eventually did a few good things. I mean, hey, maybe he couldn't repair those relationships, so he did do a few good things, and. And he's deceased now, and his name is on a few buildings here and there. But um, you know, it, it causes you to think, right? Yeah. It causes you to think. Yeah. What's the purpose of money, and what is wealth really? So, to yeah. me, you know, we've defined true wealth. It's it's kind of a, I don't know, it's almost kind of like a fake term, but it's you know, true wealth, and we define it as your core, the things that are essential to you. So we have kind of a big three: family, health, and faith. So if you don't have those, you're just kind of you're you're just kind of uh, untethered in the world. You know, you're just kind of floating aimlessly. And then, you know, you're a big advocate for lifelong learning and growth. 
you know, so we call it experience, but really it's about growing in a positive way, right? You know, if you're not, yeah. if you're standing still, then you're starting to fall behind, right? You're just, you've got to grow and keep growing. Yeah, I think, I think you're starting to die, actually, if you, if you do that. I think you actually start to, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we agree on that. But, you know, with that comes joy. Certainly it comes yeah. suffering and sorrow as well. But yeah, with it comes the ability to achieve, you know, the richness that is life. And then contribution. That's, you know, kind of your, that's your sweet spot. You know, how are you giving back? How are you contributing to making the world a better place? If you're wealth, your money, your time, energy, and attention isn't, you know, devoted to contributing to the well-being of others. And it could be through your profession. I hope it is, right? I hope your your career and your job lines up with that. But if you're not doing that, then, you know, you're kind of trending towards selfishness and self-centeredness. And that's that's where things start falling apart is when you get too insular self-centered greedy you know that's where you start developing contempt for other people or envy those kinds of things and you know those are that's that's the beginning of that downward spiral you know yeah and and you know ron you talk about contempt i mean that so that that's a great setup and that kind of brings us back to where we started this conversation where, where you talked about one of your students said this this absence of respect you know, which is the, which is the, the, the found, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it is the foundation for certainly a, a civil, a functioning civil society, a liberal democracy. Yep. And, you know, uh, it's just funny you say that because the other day I was on um, uh, a Zoom call with uh, another elder statesman named Edward Lujan. And this gentleman, uh, his family has been in New Mexico for many, many years. He's the dad of a good friend of mine um, in the insurance industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just he's been, um, gosh, what was it? He was the head of the Republican Party in New Mexico, but he was one of these gentlemen who was revered on both sides of the aisle. He just a true statesman. And I asked him, I said, Edward, what, when you think about, uh, and by the way, also, this is the gentleman who was the visionary and founder of the, um, uh, the, the Hispanic uh, uh, Heritage Center for all of New Mexico. Um, and I asked him, I said, what's, what's missing from leadership today? And without missing a beat, one word, respect. Yeah, well, it's, uh, hopefully it's obvious to people. You know, hopefully it's obvious to people. And hopefully they can, you know, I mean, I challenge myself. I challenge all the people that I work with to, you know, are, do you really show, are you really showing respect? And, and it's, you know, it's, it's easy with people that you love and your friends and all that stuff. But uh, you said in, in, in a lot of your work, uh, you know, it's very difficult with people that you maybe just, you know, that you disagree with vehemently, you know, politically, they're on the yeah. opposite side of the fence. That's the challenge. But that's, I think, where, you, you know, your work really shines and stands out to me is that, you make a, a conscious effort to uh, to show respect, to meet yeah. people where they're at, and to um, put down your weapons and sit down and, and seek to understand. And well, and we had to, you know, we we had to learn that the hard way. You know, we had to learn that the hard way in 
lots of places, but certainly for me, it was, it was tribal Afghanistan. And, and, and it was after 10 years of getting it wrong. You know, um, the reason that I talk so passionately, Ron, about the levels of contempt that you mentioned yourself, uh, the reason that I talk so passionately about the levels of contempt as alarming for our society is, is the same reason that Sebastian Younger in his book Tribe calls our attention to contempt. And, and, and the simple reason is that people, citizens, are speaking of their neighbors with the same level of contempt one would normally reserve for one's enemies in wartime. And, and I will tell you that even in war, where it was really nasty, you didn't see a lot of warriors speaking with contempt about the, the Taliban or Al-Qaeda. There was to some degree, but there was, even with our enemies, there was a level of respect uh, that went with that. It didn't mean you weren't prepared to, to take them out, to kill them, but there, you, know, you, you had some of that. You had this dehumanization and contempt, and I've been guilty of it myself. Um, but but at the end of the day, you know, I saw firsthand how 10 years of just disrespect, contempt, corrosive approach with the locals in Afghanistan got us nowhere. In fact, it got us actually we, we moved backwards. And it was only when we we decided in 2010 to take a, a, a local approach to meet people where they are in these villages to live alongside them, help them stand up on their own, and more importantly, bridge beyond our group and their group and, yeah. and connect that way. And that's when things actually started to happen. And that's what I'm worried about in the, in, in the country today and in the, the world at large, is that we are treating each other with contempt. And I just feel like that doesn't end well. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. In fact, I was thinking while you were talking that, you know, um, uh, for me, I'm big on trying to replace bad habits with with better ones. Yeah. And to me, uh, you, you know, the the whole habit theories and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I yeah. was thinking, why you know, why don't we make the word contempt a trigger? Like whenever you hear that word, you know, and if you're feeling it or you identify that you're experiencing contempt that's that should trigger something that you should go into a different loop like I, into the respect loop yeah you know? but but you know why i think that's so hard and, and this is where i this is where i think these kind of platforms ron and these kinds of conversations and everyone who is watching or listening to this i think this is why it's it's so important you care if i riff for just a second on what i think it is because i want you go to lay it on go for it go for it so you see this iceberg behind me right um, this, this, it, it, and if you're listening to this, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it as well. But, you know, I, in my, in my research, in my work around human connection, and I've been doing this for about three decades now, both in uniform and out of uniform. And I've worked with a lot of prolific thinkers. Um, you know, what, what I've landed on Ron is that, that human nature, you know, we've been around as modern humans for about a quarter million years and longer than that as, as hominids. Um, you know, a million years. But homo sapiens. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the, our operating system is really, really old. And, and I equate it to this iceberg that you see behind me. And, you know, the modern world that we live in, that you just described as a financial advisor, uh, the modern world where these conflicts are happening, 
where elections and inaugurations and pandemics, that's that tip of the iceberg. It's, it's 20% of, of, of really of, of who we are as humans. It's that transactional contractual part of our neighbor, of our, of our nature. And it's very new. I mean, even as consumed as we are with our iPhones, our social media, that's, that's just a few years old. Below the surface, though, is this, is this tribal primal creature uh, it's our hardwiring. It's, it's, if, if the top of the iceberg is the, is the rider, that 80%, that large chunk that's below the surface is the elephant. And, and, and here's my, here's my thing. That's the part of us that is honor and shame and hospitality and revenge. It's all of those primal characteristics that have helped us navigate the world and formed groups and tribes for thousands of years and there's a light side to it and there's a dark side to it uh sebastian younger talks about the values of tribe and community um but also you know there's there's negative aspects in terms of like feud and vengeance revenge revenge yeah, yeah. and and scarcity you know when you look above that water line you have abundance because there we we've evolved socially into a society that uh mark weiner um calls contract society it's it's this it's this society where rule of law and a constitution and a free market allows individuals to pursue their own their own their own dreams their own liberties but below the waterline that's not that way it's no, a group so society yeah, it's so a clan primal. society and you the only way you acquire enough resources just like any other animal is to group and fight and do what you have to do to acquire that but but if you want to ex excel or ascend as an individual you know, in a, it requires leadership. It requires certain things to be in place. And this is all very new, very experimental. But we all seem to, to kind of like it. Uh, but granted, there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, certain groups have not been afforded those opportunities. And, and we've got work to do. But, but at the end of the day, Ron, I assert that, 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 that individualism, rightly understood with a, with, a, with a sense of community back to our past, is exactly where we need to be to solve the future, future problems. But, but in all our modernity and in our rat race and running so hard, those material quests that you talked about to the extreme, we have lost our connection to what's below the surface. And as a result of that, nature has her way and the surface starts acting on us unconsciously. And that's what I believe is happening in the country today. Because we have disconnected from our nature, and we don't understand really who we are at our core, and we don't honor those attributes, then we start to take on the dark sides of them, such as tribalism, feud, revenge. And that doesn't end well. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Uh, I, I hardly know where to begin, <laughs> but, but well done. Well done, you know, in terms of, I think, explaining where we're at and adding, um, you know, a lot of nuance to what it is that, uh, you know, characterizes our current dilemma. Um, so, so part of it is, you know, how do we climb up, you know, above the surface, right? How do we yeah. get, get, get forward? And I think that goes back to your call to leadership. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, if left to our own devices, our, our, our tribal tendencies, especially, uh, they've been all kind of provoked, you know, by, by, you know, the events of this path of 2020 and now early 2021. And I think, uh, 
you know, we we need to find a way to, or it would be best anyway, to find a way to search, short circuit that, right? Cut it off in some way. And, you know, it'd be good if someone somewhere would would say, hey, maybe I was wrong, or maybe, right, you know, regardless of what I think, I want to hear what you what you think, you know, and how you're going through this. And can we agree that, you know, we want a better world, you know, yeah. that, you know, the, the reason why you're, you know, threatening violence or, you know, you know, doing all, you know, engaging all this behavior is that you really do want a better world, right? That we, yeah. you know, and that better world looks like something where we all have, you know, some some amount of freedom and that there's a certain amount of collaboration and all that kind of stuff can we agree on what that vision is and is there somebody out there that says hey i forgive you let's 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 listen let's uh, let's move forward right and and the thing is this is this is where um i think the localized empowered leadership needs to come in is, is if we're waiting on the leaders in power right now to do that. I think we are going to be waiting a very long time. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't. Yeah, yeah I, I see. Again, I, I've introduced this term divisionists, and it is it is an apolitical term. You know, I believe you 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 qualify as a divisionist if you surrender uh, to a polarized position to the point that you divide in order to advance your agenda. And again, we all have in groups we all have ideologies we all have agendas we all that's we all have goals but if you put those uh ahead of you know a bridging trust society where where there is truly uh individualism rightly understood with a sense of community that bridges beyond in groups and allows for you know reciprocity and social capital across groups and we have a common story you know i was talking there's a book, Ron, I would love for you to, to check out. I don't know if you've read it. It's called The Human Givens. No, I haven't. Um, I haven't. And, and uh, it's, uh, it's a fantastic book. Um, and it's really, you know, at its core, I think it was written by and for mental health experts, psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors. And, but its contention is exactly what I just talked about here which is that humans, regardless of our race or our religion or our ethnicity or our socioeconomic status or how modern we think we are, there are certain human givens that we all need and that are all present in us. And those givens are essentially our psychological needs and the innate resources in our in this amazing instrument that that helps us meet those needs as we navigate the world and you know those those stem from physical needs like water and food and shelter but but also safety and and then you know there are emotional needs that go with that we are very emotional creatures as humans but we've again we've become so materialism materialistic contractual transactional and fast-paced that we've we've lost we've lost touch with those human givens, those things that that are below the surface. Some of them, um, you know, have to do again with safety. Some of them have to do with intimacy. Some of them have to do with just basic connection. But if we don't, if we don't maintain a grip on those things and understand what they are, and as leaders, 
you know, show up that way. It, 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 we're going to continue to, to spiral into this very, very primal in-group, out-group approach where we're fighting over a scrap of bread instead of, you know, bridging toward uh, a common narrative. And this is the, one, of the, one of the gentlemen um, who, he didn't write the book, Human Givens, but he's very involved in dispute resolution. He's a Canadian diplomat. He said to me, one of the things that America is struggling with right now, and I think he's right, is that we've lost our common narrative. We've lost our oh, common absolutely. story. And, absolutely. and we really need that as a society. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that if um, in some ways there's, there's conflicting narratives now, um, yeah. you know, or competing narratives maybe is, is a way yeah. of, of describing it. And uh, not having that shared narrative, you know, uh, it, it speaks to that leadership element, you know, inspiring that shared vision. You know, so yeah. who who out there, you know, is is inspiring a shared vision, you know, rather than a. I haven't seen him. If you, I haven't. I haven't. I know. really haven't. I, I on either side, I haven't seen anybody who is truly speaking to an inspired vision. And if it's okay, I want to take that a step further because one of the Please. things that Robert Putnam, you know, right. a well-known social scientist, says in his book *The Upswing* and *Bowling Alone*, he says that he's seeing a lot of data where Americans in particular in this polarized society are indeed polarizing to their candidate or their person. And, and then even though it's super polarized and, it, and it's clear that it's polarized, they're not surrendering any degree of commitment to that individual, even when it goes to the extreme. In other words, we're lingering around these divisionists, you know, far longer than you would think that 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 citizens of a liberal democracy would do you know you'd think at some point like you said when you start to see the trigger of contempt you you step away from that and and one of the things that i want to offer up and it's a below the waterline thing i think because we've lost awareness of our own nature one of the things that that the human givens talks about is that when we get when our emotional needs are not met you know, we, we, the, the instrument starts to find ways to meet them. We start to look for ways to meet our needs. And so mm -hmm. when we become angry, you know, the, the, the body has, a, the mind has a response to that anger. And, and as it continues to accelerate, it goes into a trance-like state. And that's their words. You go into this trance-like state where you are, you are physiologically oriented on what you have to do to survive. And that emotion of anger is driving you to the extreme to do that. Now, what I tell people all the time is in combat, for example, when you're in a gunfight, the bullets get quiet. The bullets get quiet. And the reason is because you, I, yeah. you don't need to hear them, right? You're, the, the physiological uh, attributes yeah, of your body yeah. are focusing on, on, on the central things that you need to have. Well, the same thing happens when we go into that trance-like state uh, of anger here in the United States. When we get, look at how people are acting. They are literally going into a trance where their emotional temperature is so high that they're not in charge of their own faculties. And what they say in the human givens is that when that happens, you lose that perception of those finer skills to look at that bridging trust, to look at that common narrative. And it becomes fear-based behavior to, to, to preserve resources or status. And I'm just interested in your take on that with all of your work in mindfulness and, 
um, and, 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 and true, you know, local leadership. How does that land with you? Have you seen evidence of that? And, and how do you think about that as a, as a leadership coach? Um, two things, three things, four things. <laughs> uh, uh, what I would say is that I think it's true. Um, you know, where I was going with it, and I think that uh, uh, you and I share this is to, you know, how can we frame those in terms of questions that people can respond to? Yeah. Um, and to me, uh, you know, if we're uh, being triggered to anger, you know, how can we, you know, uh, lower the temperature, as you would say, on anger, where it's not productive, where it's not leading to bridging, but instead going to bonding. And then how can we associate anger with sort of um, um, the drive to create more of a uh, connection, a bridging sort of society world? You know, it's like I told, I've told people, my sense of anger is, is in, um, is my feeling that people are you know, growing farther apart and that people are trying, right. some people are trying to drive a wedge between us. So the, the yeah. division is, as you would put it. So my anger is directed to, towards those people. Um, and Great. You know, my question is, my question is, how do we neutralize them? And how yeah. do we use the energy? Because I think you can agree that uh, anger creates energy. You know, it's it just, how can we channel, how can we channel yeah. that in order to drive forward with um, this idea that, hey, I may be angry, but I really want to champion listening and respect and, you know, appreciation for the other person's perspective. And let's, yeah. let's, let's drive towards um, a more generous way of looking at each other. And let right. me set the example. Let me make yeah. the first move. Let me take the first step. But let's, yeah. you know... Let's yeah. sit down, you know, and let's and, and you, put our yeah. down. Yeah, I think that's right, Ron. And, and I think we should unpack that, that, that anger toward the divisionist thing a little bit because, you know, what we're talking about on this podcast is that you as a local leader, you know, nobody else is coming. And, it, and, and, and what I learned in several decades as a Green Beret is that leadership is local. You know, if we want to, if we want to have an impact, in the world and everything that I ever saw that ended up being a, 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 a strategic outcome, um, leadership wise was typically iterative and local and bottom up and, and it was cumulative and over mm -hmm. time. And yes, over time you do have some big leaders that swing the stick, but, but it started long before that it started, you know, it was, it was, uh, like Putnam talked about in his book, the upswing in the early 1900s, there was a low point in American history, much like today. But leaders one by one started to step into the arena when they saw no one else was coming. They started Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the Shriners, the, the Rotary Club, the NAACP were all formed during that period. And they created this long running period of upswing of social capital from like 1910 to 1965. So my, my thinking is we can operationalize that upswing again. And I believe that. And I think there's a lot of other leaders out there who believe that way, but they've been drowned out by the divisionists. And it's hard to not get angry at them. So I have two thoughts on that that I'd like to offer up to you for comment. One is I do think there are straight up divisionist leaders who know exactly how this iceberg operates 
and they 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 have abandoned their posts of stewardship for preserving individualism rightly understood with a sense of our past and community in favor of in-group behavior toward a specific agenda. And they know who they are. They know who they are. And I know who they are. And if you're listening to this, you know who they are too. But I'll go ahead and call them out anyway. Uh, there are a lot of politicians are doing it on both sides of the aisle. Let me be clear. Uh, a lot of groups that are advancing group agendas are, mm -hmm. are, are divisionist. Um, a lot of social media. That's right. Opportunist. Yeah. And it's about power. And then finally, our, the, the, the 24-hour news cycle are masters yeah. at divisionist approaches as our social media architects. Now, all that said, that is still, that is A, a very small part of the equation, and B, we could fire them in a moment's notice as a citizenry, all of them. We could decide next Tuesday that we're all turning off our phones and it would be done. Right. And I'm just saying that because that's a we have that choice. Right. We're not at a point yet where the hardcore divisionist leaders who aren't acting this way consciously have the reins. They don't. But the second thing is, I also think there are a lot of folks who are participatory in divisionism that are in that trance like state who are actually really decent folks. They've been caught up in the churn and and they have they have they have cumulatively elevated their emotional temperature to where their sympathetic nervous system of fight, flight, and freeze is firing on all cylinders. And yeah, we have to find a way. Enablers. That's right. And, and I think to some degree have been caught up and, and we need to help bring that emotional temperature down. Maybe it's you, maybe yeah. as you're listening to this, that you, I mean, I've, anytime you speak with moral superiority over another group, you're in that divisionist camp. Right. It's my opinion and my belief. And, and, and so I'm interested in what you think about that, Ron. If that framing is relatively accurate, then I think the good news is that that if we can model, like you said, what right looks like at a local level, then just by definition, emotional temperatures should start to come down. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that um, to me. You know, the, the your your divisionists um, are enabled by people unwittingly, unwittingly. Yeah. You know, I think they they've gotten caught up. I think people um, in when when you have COVID, uh, you know, when you have the kind of the economic fallout from COVID, um, you've got the election, all the. Inform misinformation and just kind of information overload yeah. that goes with that social media 24 7 yeah. news cycle um the supercomputers in our pockets you know yeah. just the compound effect um makes everybody somewhat complicit if you turn on your phone right yeah i mean you're there yeah yeah you're, you're yeah. there and and, yeah. and you know yeah. we're we're um, I think you've referenced this in, in some of your uh, podcasts, but you know the what Tristan Harris says in the social dilemma and all this stuff. I think is true. It's like we're addicted. We're addicted. And we are. Big tech. Are. Big tech has, you know, maybe you know, conspire is a strong word, but you know they've certainly 
you know, in their own self-interest have created this, you know, this world of addicts, you know, addicts for all this stuff. So, you know, I think, yes, we could all turn off our phones, but the likelihood of that happening is very low because of the high level of addiction. So let me, let me, so, so, um, I'm just going to take that on for a second because I think it's Please. really important that we, because I think Please it's a do. huge contributor that we've got to do. And, and so I am an alcoholic. I, 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 I gave up my anonymity a few years ago um, because I feel like um, talking about my alcoholism is actually more important this day and age than hiding it. It's a personal choice. Um, I did get sober through um, a 12 step program and I've been sober 20 years. Right. And, and, and if you saw me run, if you saw me when I was drinking, we probably would not be having this conversation uh, because I was not, I was just not, I was not in a place where I could do that. In fact, I was so addicted to, to my drug of choice that it was all that I really focused on. And, and, and anyone who, who saw me or knew me at that time would say, no way in hell, no way in hell, this guy's ever given that up. Not going to happen. You know, but 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 the first thing I that I, I had some people come into my life and they helped me understand that I needed to admit I had a problem and then I needed to take certain steps that would enable me to have this thing removed from me. And it happened for me. Like I can only speak to my own experience. But my point is that I think you're right. I think that what we're looking at with all of this above the waterline stuff to include social media. And these mobile devices and the fact that once again, because we've lost connection with our, 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 our deeper primal selves, it's being exploited like dopamine bursts from our phone when a, oh, when a buzzer goes off, like that's all primal. And, and so, oh, so in, unless we can admit and recognize the depth of, of, of this impact and then start to ask ourselves, okay, could we move toward individualism rightly understood again? Is, is that indeed something that I, as a, as a human being, want for my kids or for my family or for my country? I want a country that has abundance and individualism rightly understood with a sense of community. Like, and we make the decision to do that and then take actions that would, it, it would, that would, that would help us do it. But it's going to require a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, um, despite the fact that it's challenging, I think we need to start and we yeah. need to do it, as you said, at a local level. I, I do have a question and a request. Yeah. It's really a request. Could you speak to um, individualism rightly understood? You know, yeah, absolutely. What, what that means to you? Yeah. Um, in, in his book, The Upswing, which I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I've read a couple times now. Again, Robert Putnam is, is a social scientist who has made a very, very strong assertion that the that America's been here before, right? That in the early 1900s, we faced a lot of the same social ills, division, polarization, hopelessness, perceived hopelessness that we do now. And through a series of, of uh, bottom-up and top-down actions by leaders of, of, of various ilks and races and ethnicities, uh, we found a way to restore social capital at a very high level, all the way up until 1965, where it started to go down again. And in that book, early on, in order to kind of frame what this experiment in democracy is, he talked about a guy named Alexander de Tocqueville, 
who came over from France mm -hmm. to America during the, the early 1800s to get a sense of and report back to France on what the hell was happening over here. What was really going on? What was this, what was this thing called democracy? And, and, and is America something that should be taken seriously? And, and he, re he wrote back in, in a series of very prolific pieces that, that America, he was very impressed. You know, that, that what, what, what America has figured out is this, this, this unique aspect of individualism rightly understood. So in other words, it was a balance between a society that valued the individual above the clan or the group, which is unheard of, right? That's unheard of. Like that, that civil society for thousands of years has been status society, just like any other mammal. Your obligations yeah. are to your group. But yet yeah. there's this individualism here, but yet it's rightly understood. There seems to be this innate sense of community, of tribe that underpins that individualism and keeps it stable. So in other words, there is, there is this individualism above the waterline and this, this rightly understood sense of community below the waterline. It was as, as if Americans had a foot above and a foot below. We, we knew where we were going and we knew where we came from, right? And now still, again, this is at a time when we still had slavery, for God's sakes, and women weren't voting. So by no means was it, you know, the, the, the city on the hill, but it was very different. And, and, it, and it offered, you know, an approach to individualism and an approach to achieving one's dreams that he had never seen. And I think you know, yeah. when I think there was about no, it, there was no metric. historical precedent, there was no right. historical precedent. Right. And, and I've just found from a framing perspective, when I when I lay that out, um, it, it seems to resonate in terms of what an aim point might be in our civil society for something that we could all kind of rally around. Yeah. I, you know, to me, that strikes me as individualism uh, redefined now, you know, 21st century individualism having been through what we've been through yeah. you know covid george floyd all that stuff um you know this election period um the capitol hill stuff i think we're at a place in in our history uh where we need to where it's it would be an opportunity to redefine what individually individualism means because i know a lot of the the people who are rioting and protesting and who are threatening violence to this second right now are doing so in the name of freedom, yeah. um, AKA, yeah. AKA individualism. And yeah. to me, it's an opportunity. I think we, we almost need as on a societal level to say, yeah, we're for freedom. We're for individualism, but rightly understood in our modern context. Absolutely. That does not be, yeah, it yeah. does not mean, you know, tearing through Congress and threatening people's lives and destroying public property and things like that. A absolutely. And, and as we've seen, that's happened, you know, it's happened uh, across uh, political parties. It's happened across ethnic groups. It's happened across socioeconomic lines. And, you know, everyone points at the other party and they say, that's wrong. That you cannot do that, but then and then there's this at the same time there's this justified behavior for yeah. 
something like that occurring in your camp. And my point is, I think we have to go one level deeper and we have to say, now, hold on. Rightly understood means we're going we're gonna to just hold the phone on our positions for a second. And we're going to attack the issue of how we treat each other when we have those conversations, bringing it all the way back to where you and I started, which is this issue of respect, civil discourse. We need leaders who are going to insist, I believe, at a community level and in your own personal arena, this is how we're going to treat each other. This is how I'm going to show up and treat you. And this is what I'm going to ask how you treat me. Can we agree to that? Yes, we can. Okay, then let's have a conversation. You know, we, we've, and the only way to do that, Ron, is we've got to shake off this trance. We've got to get more familiar with how these trances occur, these extreme movements into mm-hmm. anger and fear. We've got to get a foot below the water. Gotta get, and that's what we're going to do here in the podcast, is we're going to go deeper on that. I'm going to, I'm going to pull back the curtain with as many guests and, and, and personal insights as I can on, on where, how do we get that? I think we've got the individualism part. How do we get that rightly understood part? What does that yeah. mean? You're right. We need to reframe, redefine. And then I think as, as leaders in our own arena, we can start to, we can start to implement that at a local level and, 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 and model what it needs to look like. That's great. That's great. You know, I think that, you know, this calls for a higher, you know, a greater level of maturity amongst yeah. our citizenry. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, but we have to start at the fundamentals. To me, respect, uh, when I talk about it, it's, it's like, let's go back to when you're five years old or something, you know, it's like, please, thank you. You're welcome. You know, it's giving people the benefit of the doubt. It's, you know, the respect is yeah. about bestowing some basic dignity to oneself and to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that comes. No, please, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, you go, please. To me, um, you know, uh, that's where I'll go back to my story. Uh, I grew up in a world where that wasn't always something I could take for granted. Like uh, yeah. I was saying, you know, hey, the my peer group, their their fathers fought in the Pacific against the Japanese. So we were the Japs, even though I'm an American citizen, you know, and my father was an American citizen, right? And my mother was an American citizen. But, um, you know, to them, the, you know, they're triggered, right? So yeah. there's no respect. There's, there was no respect. And I had yeah. to earn their respect. And I, you know, and I didn't figure that out right away, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, for me, respect was, all right, if you're going to try to beat me up, then you're going down with me, right? So yeah. I, I had to learn the hard way, you know, yeah. what respect yeah. is all about. And to me, yeah. we're right there again, you know. We are, like, Ron. We are. You know, yeah, and we absolutely can, are. But we can't, it can't be about neighbor against neighbor. That's no, just, it can't. Yeah, that's we, the downfall. We got to be better than that. We yeah, and be what that, what that can result in, you know, I talk about the churn. I, I believe that the, the reason this matters is because, yes, it creates conflict at a localized level and that degrades our efficiency. It makes it very difficult to have a, a, a society of abundance and, and free will when there's this level of conflict. They don't they can't coexist. You can't have abundance and conflict. It doesn't work. You know um, you, what it, that's replaced with is scarcity. And ultimately, 
organizational and societal collapse. It's a sinkhole, and you can see evidence of it already. We've already seen little, little, little snippets of what that churn sinkhole looks like uh, after George, George Floyd's death at the Capitol. And, and that's, just a, that's just a small little foreshadow of what societal organizational collapse looks like. I've seen it. I, I've seen it firsthand, I'm and sure it doesn't have. end well. And, and I want to go back to your experience as Japanese-American, and I want to really bring that home to anyone listening to this, anyone watching this, is, is that Ron's experience where, you know, from, from the, the sons of veterans of the Pacific campaign, I'm sure that those young men felt very justified in, 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 in demonstrating their anger and contempt for what they perceive to be the enemy. But do you understand that that is absolutely no different, absolutely zero difference. It is the same contempt and moral superiority that groups right now that Republicans are showing over Democrats and Democrats are showing over uh, Republicans, liberals over conservatives, conservatives over liberals, mask versus no mask. It, does, it, it, is, it, is, it is that primal, innate, below-the-surface feud. It's the dark side of tribalism that we are now at the mercy of because we're in that trance-like state. We have surrendered right th that, that connection to our humanity in favor of that. And there's, it is timeless, and it will take us down. And, and so, so my ask to anybody listening or watching is that, you know, Ron talked about how do we get away from the triggers and the questions we ask ourselves is, are you speaking with moral superiority over another group right now? Or have you in the last six months? And if you have, then I'll just call it straight. You are part of the divisionist camp. You are not part of a bridging trust movement. You are part of a divisionist movement. And if you look at the level of polarization, Ron, that's right down the middle of the country, it doesn't work. The numbers don't work for that approach. Yeah. Would you, what do you, what do you think? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, the, you know, I think you're, you're, you're really right on on that. And I think, you know, I, I, I know for myself, I mean, I'll confess, I, I, I felt a, a sense of moral indignation from time to time, but then you have to catch yourself and go, well, you know, what do you want? You want to be uh, feel superior to other people, or do you want things to get better? You know? Right. Do you want? Yeah. What kind of what, what kind of world do we want? You know. And so, right. to be right. part of it is just all right. I confess, I admit. You know, I admit. You know, I've been wrong about some things. I've been wrong about people, and I've judged people. And you know, let's. You know, how do we get beyond this? How do we move yeah. forward? in a positive yeah. way, you know, yeah. how do we lead from, lead towards something, you know, that's going to be better as opposed to trying to figure out who's, who's more wrong, you know, yeah. you or me. Yeah. You know? And let me, and, yeah. And let me be clear. I'm not, I'm not advocating abandoning one's values or principles, you know, as, as you a green beret. You can't anyway. Like, yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah. I mean, that's not what I'm saying at all, but what I am saying is that we learned after 10 years that bashing people in the face is not going to get you to a level of social capital that equates to individual liberty and abundance. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. and, and advancing your agenda at the, at the, at the, at the downfall of another group 
who is who is an American citizen is not going to work. It it is flawed to the core. And so I think what we do next, Ron, is like you know I don't think there's any one answer. I don't think that it is it is a, it is an approach to leadership where we what I do think we can do is start to open the aperture on recognizing what's below the surface in in this aspect of, of human nature and how we really connect and how we lead people in effective ways. Uh, and then start to utilize those techniques. And, and, and again, that's what we're really going to get into on this podcast. You've helped me break it out beautifully. And, and I really appreciate, I knew you would. Um, and, and I'm excited about what we've been able to open up. Now we've just got to keep going deeper. So before we close, though, um, what did we miss that you, you wish we would have covered? Or what do we need to say or what do you feel like needs to be said that didn't get said today that will help move this, um, this, this, this podcast and more importantly, this effort to empowered local leadership further along? Uh, I'd say, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot I could say, but uh, you know, uh, certainly I've come to view leadership as benevolent influence. And mm. uh, you know, to me, um, we're, we're, we're all able to be influencers. And even if it's in our own smallish world. But uh, the reason I work with financial advisors is not only because of my background, it's because each of them, you know, has hundreds of clients, right? Right. They can be influential in their own in their own local way. And and now with COVID has put us all on Zoom. So local is a different meaning. You know, it's not just geographic now. We can reach, I mean, you, I assume you're in Tampa right yeah. now. I'm, I'm in Texas and I've been on the phone with Europe and Australia and, you know, the Northern States today, right? right. So, yeah, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago that would be unthinkable, right? Yeah. But here we are, yeah. you yeah. know, so it's yeah. the same technology that's blown up our, our psyches and, you know, get, you know, uh, you know, kind of overwhelming our body chemistry and our amygdalas and all that stuff. The same technology provides some potential for us. And to me, if we're conscious of benevolent influence, if we're conscious of how we're conducting ourselves, uh, it, it's going to take a, an extraordinary level of self-awareness, self-control and self-management. But, you know, ex-military uh, you know you're you know one of one of the great things about military is your level of discipline you know and and how you you know yeah you're you're human like all of us right you have these emotional reactions and you highlight that in your work but you you've worked you spent a, bit, a good chunk of your lifetime applying discipline to the way you go about doing things. And to me, that's admirable. And it's something we can all learn from. And yeah. so Thank that's, you. that's Thank how you. I, that's, uh, that's no. what it's going to take. Yeah, you're really, that's really well said, Ron. And, and I was just sitting here thinking, as you said that, you know, it's very ironic that the podcast that we're doing right now, you know, we're going to put that out on social media and all these other platforms that we said are, are, you know, are having an effect on us. But again, I think it gets to your point of redefining individualism rightly understood. You know, the, the same thing with, you know, a foot above the waterline, a foot below the waterline. We are in the modern world. We are going to use social media platforms and, and, and other digital platforms 
to reach and connect and have an impact, but it needs to be rightly understood. And it is going to require a high level of discipline and and, and, and work in that regard. I, as I'm speaking right now, I hope all my veteran brothers and sisters are, are hearing Ron's words. And, you know, I know that for veterans in particular, watching our nation go through this is extremely, extremely disturbing. Um, it's, it's, it's really tough. But, but my ask of you is to dig into that same level of discipline. You know what right looks like. You know what leadership looks like is don't let it take you down, is that we need your leadership now more than ever. We need everybody at a local empowered level, but certainly our veteran population. Um, let's take heart here and recognize that it's what you've been through in those trust depleted places that you can model what it looks like. Ron, one other thing you said that I'm, I'm going to uh, come back to you for, for uh, a farewell, but is, is you, you talked about, um, oh gosh, darn it. What was it you said? Um, man, we've covered so much. And I just, you know, <laughs> I was just on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, well, maybe I'm going to bury you with one more, okay. one more uh, comment. Yeah. And how's this? I'm going to pile yeah. on while I got a chance. So, um, at the moment, the Capitol was being overrun last week. Uh, I was standing in a river in uh, Western North Carolina, which is probably pretty close to where you spent some time when you were younger, I would think. Absolutely. But I was standing, I was standing in the river fly fishing for trout with a Army veteran. Army, wow. He was my guide. Uh, he's a fly fishing guide now in North Carolina. And I... Um, I mentioned to him that I uh, I was I was speaking with you. I had recommended your podcast uh, to him, and uh, you know, he and I had a had a good healthy conversation. You know, about what it's going to take in order to, to make a difference in the world, and uh, you know, uh, he offered up, and I took him up on the offer. Uh, one of the things that I was doing with him was uh, talking about how we could use fly fishing as an experience for veterans to help them, you know, know, get, get back to nature and kind of regroup as, as human beings and take their strengths, which is that discipline and, and that ability to focus and to fight for a cause. Right. Um, And he, he was all over that. So I would just say this is that uh, he and the owner of his fly fishing business, are all talking about how to go about doing this and, and do it specifically for veterans. So yeah, uh, connect us, connect us, Ron. I do a lot of that work with our nonprofit. I'd love to, I appreciate you, you having that conversation with him and, and we'll certainly, you know, that's how it gets done. And, and, and I actually, I remember what I was going to say and it speaks to that, which is take a look at your arena, you know, take a look at the arena that is where you live, work and play. And look at the level of influence that you have, that benevolent influence that, that, that Ron talks about. It's the same as, you know, leading people to the rooftop. It's inspiring them, not forcing them. And, and, and it's human connection. It's leveraging this stuff below the waterline and bringing it up to the top of the waterline. Active listening, being an empathetic witness, storytelling, stuff that we're going to dive into here. But when you hear that little voice in your head saying, well, what can I do? Like, I can't have any influence. It's those people in the on, in the extreme center, <laughs> or it's, it's social media. That's it's the media that's doing it. No, no. Leadership is local and your arena is much bigger than you think. And we have unprecedented access today to levels of influence digitally that were not existing 
when Robert Putnam talked about that initial upswing in the early 1900s, yet it was the longest running period of social capital in American history. Imagine what could happen with the technology that we have today um, that, that if we just leveraged in our own arena, we started to model what bridging trust looks like, what treating each other with respect, removing the contempt, and focusing on how we treat each other in the context of civil discourse, what that could do, and then call out the bad actors who do it. My challenge, my final challenge to all of you is this. If you've stayed with me long enough to this point, you're, you're willing to hear this challenge. Are you willing to call out the divisionists in your camp? You know, are you willing to call them out? Because most leaders, even the ones with great ideas and great frameworks, are not. They are, they are so caught up in their own semi-conscious biases that they, they can't do it without it being pointed out to them. And, and even then, they, they stick to their guns. So that's my question to you as we close this out. Are you willing, as you continue down this road, to call out divisionism even in your own camp? Because that's what it's going to take. And if you're going to go with us to the rooftop, that's what you're going to have to do. Ron, I can't thank you enough for being on, my friend. All right, testing one, two, three. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Scott. Uh, it's been really an honor. Um, I follow you, your work very closely. I admire what you've accomplished and what you continue to do. And you know, it's, it's been a great honor to be on this. Thank you so much. Thank you, pal. And listen, um, um, also, I'd like you to, you don't have to answer it now, but give some thought into some other uh, thought leaders. You, you've seen the context that could come in here and, and, and be great guests on the podcast. We'll, Wes will reach out to you separately on that. Um, but to everybody listening, um, again, my, 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 my challenge to you, this is not going to be an easy road. Empowered local leadership of the kind that we're going to need, skilled leadership in the face of the churn is going to take new skills, new recognition of what's down here below the surface that you've detached from. And then techniques that, you know, interpersonal skills that it takes to reach down there and connect. That's what it's going to take. And so we're going to go deep on that. And it's going to require everything you've got to do that. But it, the reward is a society of right individualism rightly understood, where our kids actually have abundance and bridging trust and an opportunity for everybody to chase their dreams. And I think that's something we can all get our heads around if we can just bring the emotional temperature down, lose the contempt and reach out and, and call these leaders out that are, that are causing the division, right? It's going to take some time, but we got this. Share this podcast with a friend. Um, go back and listen to it if you need to. But this is the journey we're on. Thanks for what you do, and I'll see you on the rooftop. Okay, we're clear, Ron. Well, that was, uh, that was exhilarating. Thanks, man. A lot of people, they do these 30 minute podcasts, you know, but Wes and I talked about it and, and we just said, look, if we're going to do this and we just got to, we got to do what the conversation requires, um, you know, and be, and be committed to that. And, and um, if it, if it's 30 people listening to it, then it's 30 people that go all the way with it and we'll, you know, we'll leverage it. Uh, no, it's a uh, message is strong. Your message is strong. Yeah. You know, I, Thanks, I don't know man. if you're, there's probably segments that could be, you know, teasers or, you know, right. YouTube right. kinds of things or, you know, okay. snippets. But, uh, you know, you've got a strong message. 
you know, I'm a big supporter. Um, Thanks, man. You know, Thanks. and uh, would love to, well, you know, you be the judge, but if there's anything I could do to support your work, especially with veterans. Um, yeah, well, there is. We have our nonprofit, The Hero's Journey. You should probably check out. We have our play, um, Last Out, Elegy of a Green Beret. We're going to be filming it February 18 through 20. And then we're going to release it on Memorial Day digitally, nationally, kind of like they did with Hamilton. And I would really appreciate as we get closer to that, if you would help me just get the word out and, you know, uh, we're using it to raise money for, for sure. a veteran performing arts center here in Tampa. That's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thanks, man. Well, I know the, uh, the last event that you did was during yeah. a hurricane. <laughs> yeah, that, that was crazy. You know, that was crazy. I, but I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Thanks. That's, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the play is really powerful. Um, and then if you can get to our rooftop live, man, and, uh, and, and I know you're, you're wanting to do it live, like in person, but I don't know when that'll be uh, with the world the way it is. But, um, you know, we're going to be, you know, it's going to be in April. I'd love to have you there. It'd be, I think you'll really enjoy it. It's a great crew of people. Are, are the dates up right now? Yeah, they are. Posted? All right, I'll check yeah. that out. All right, okay. well, it's no, been, we again, it's been an honor to be here. Uh, Thanks so much, Ron. All right, and think of anybody that you want to introduce me to that might might be a good guest. I'll give that some thought. I appreciate it. Okay, pal. Thank, Thank you. you. We'll see Bye -bye. you later.